Get ready to be inspired by the great things happening in rural education. The Rural Scoop will bring you new ideas and innovative solutions, will dive into education issues, and will highlight what's working in your rural communities. You will hear from a variety of educators, administrators, professionals, and others who will provide relevant and engaging content in each episode. And now, serving up the scoop, here's your host, Dr. Melissa Sadorf. Thank you, Rural Scoop listeners, for joining me today. I have the pleasure of talking with Amy Barker, Assistant Superintendent of the Mountain Valley Education Consortium located in California. She'll be giving us some stories from the rural schoolhouse that she has worked in within the last year, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about her experiences and learning about the challenges and successes for the students in those rural districts that she works with. Amy, are you ready to give us the scoop? I'm ready to give you it. <laughs> Great. Well, first, tell us about you and your school community. So my name is Amy Barker, and I'm the assistant superintendent um, of Mountain Valley Education Consortium. And I am my email address is um, to Columbia Elementary School District because uh, I have to be paid by one district. And so I had to get benefits and pay for one. So I support eight uh, small school districts. And we also have a learning leading learning network that supports 20 of our schools and char small charter schools in um, Shasta County. So I'm very passionate about supporting rural. I grew up rural and have supported um, and been a principal superintendent. So I understand the challenges and the many hats rural administrators um, have to wear. You said that you had 20 schools within the consortium. Are all 20 of those rural? So we have what we call the consortium, which is eight school districts. They're all rural. And then we have 20 in our leading learning network, which um, they're all rural as well. So, yes. Wow. So for those districts that you're working with, what's the last year been like? Now that we're in a global pandemic, things have changed a little bit in terms of schooling. So what does that look like for you in those schools? Well, I'd say it's been a bit crazy, um, sometimes emotionally draining, um, but invigorating at, at the same time, which doesn't sound emotionally draining and invigorating. <laughs> I'm kind of crazy, but there's been lots of changes. Um, schools had to pivot quickly on a moment's notice last spring. They decided they didn't really like the way we were providing. Um, it, it didn't feel like a robust education for our students, especially in rural where the connectivity was shoddy and we had to spend a lot of time securing um, hotspots for our students and even the hotspots didn't work um, always. And we were pretty, we were all pretty in pretty good shape with our uh, laptops, computers, but it's the connectivity that really caused uh, the glitch. So uh, last spring was crazy enough that most administrators decided, no, they wanted to come back full uh, time in the fall. And so they really didn't um, have much of a summer break last summer. So I'm sure they're excited to have a little time this year. Um, although summer school is, is uh, will be part of the equation this year, and it wasn't last year. 
last year we were just happy to get to the end of the year. Um, so in the summer, they spent all summer preparing their sites, ordering, and a lot of things were on back order, which was part of the challenge. But putting things in place with their maintenance crew, they all worked very hard to make sure we had a lot of the social distancing. Then they had to work with um, the the teachers to come up with what instructional model. There was a lot of uh, MOU talk with the teachers' unions, and thankfully, we had a pretty good. Uh, we've had good relations with our unions, and so. It was uh, some give and take, and but most of us came back in person. And for those teachers or um, students or parents that were not um, comfortable with coming back in person, we also quickly pivoted to making more of a robust independent study uh, piece as long and uh, distance learning. And each of the districts I worked with handled distance learning a little differently. So um, our unions were, like I said, good to work with, and, and that's why we were able to open, I believe, and parents were very vocal. We had high attendance rates at our uh, school board meetings. Mm-hmm. We did lots of surveys, uh, lots of parent engagement, more parent engagement than um, ever, and the teachers were really in contact with their parents on a daily basis. Because last spring, of course, the parents had to do a lot of the teaching piece of things. So there was lots of frustration. Then I watched about October when the administrators were feeling really drained. You know, they had geared up for that start. And some of them didn't start right on time because the state allowed us some flexibility in instructional minutes. And so, so some did a hybrid. They soon discovered real quick that the hybrid really wasn't making much of a difference. And then um, the guidance was always changing from the CDC and the the county. Our county uh, public health was very supportive and understood like concerns that we had like with cohorting and three feet distancing. So kind of what Los Angeles and the bigger school district San Diego are dealing with now is what we dealt with months and months ago. Mm So because we're rural, it's a lot um, and small, we're able to pivot more quickly. Right. So that's an advantage. So we spent a lot, large part of last summer preparing. Then we spent a lot of time writing reopening plans. And so I know our next question is about challenges, but the plans, we had plans coming out our plans this year. <laughs> and the, it was like the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand because CDE, our California Department of Ed, was requiring plans and they shifted on us after we had written plans because they wanted our COVID plan. So we had new and monies to spend. So we, they, of course, they want accountability with those new money. So we had plans for that. And then when I say the right hand wasn't talking to the left hand, sometimes the legislators would legislate, you know, would throw some money our way, but want to plan for that. So, um, and then we had Cal OSHA, which is, um, came out and wanted another plan. And so some of it we could copy and paste, which was an advantage. And the small school districts hire me to help, um, I guess, mitigate the plan. (laughs) 
plans. <laughs> and so I help write real general plans and then we tweak them based on their their need, their their district, their schools. So we try to do the general language because distance learning was pretty similar, but then they would add their um, sauce, I guess, to the plan. So that's kind of how we were able to overcome um, that challenge, I guess. So you mentioned broadband being a challenge and then the reopening plans and all of the other plans that needed to be put in place. Did your districts have any other challenges that you were uh, involved in helping to solve? There were um, the cohorting and the the cohorting with the interventions was difficult because you had to cohort with your same students. And then if you had universal access intervention time, you had, it was very difficult for them to come up with interventions where you're switching kids. So we had to come up with how, you know, how they're going to enter, uh, do interventions solely within their, their cohort. And then how we could um, use our support staff. So our support staff had to be used um, a little differently because of mm-hmm. the cohorting. And, and then um, there were other challenges for like when students were sick and co- we had to shift cohorts off or, and, and learning about all of that, like, okay, is it just the kids that were close contact within the cohort? Is it the whole cohort that needs to go off? Is right. it the teacher? Um, I did, um, I went to, so one of our uh, principals had to take off time for a surgery and she asked me to come in and help because she was worried because she had to do all the COVID-19 tracking. And so she asked me to come fill her shoes. So, and she taught me her system for tracking and the letters that needed to be sent to the parents and the phone calls to be made. And so I agreed to do that. And then I showed up and they were short uh, teacher. (laughs) So so I became a substitute that day. So I got to learn, um, you know, I got thrown in the classroom, which was a good experience and not so good experience because I didn't feel like it was quality for students. So I basically played whack-a-mole that those couple days because the teacher had to be on quarantine. And so their plan was to have the teacher deliver the instruction through distance learning model through the Zoom. And the kids would log into their computers in the classroom and I would be there to manage. So it was a little clunky. I wish I had just you know, taken on the lesson and given the lesson instead of uh, having that model. And I know um, our small schools have had to do that because teachers have had to be off, but they want their kids still attending. So Sama met that challenge with just sending the whole, the home, home, the whole cohort, and the kids had to learn from their bedrooms, you know, or wherever, some kitchen table. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had to learn that way. And then they would come back in after their quarantine and then others, you know, might've put a uh, professional uh, or a, an instructional aid inside um, because the staff was so stretched thin and then administrator would come check on the instructional aid or they pivot one school pivot PE teachers and they eliminated 
PE for the day and made, you know, regular teacher, the regular homeroom teachers go out and teach the, the PE and, and so that they could use those PE teachers to fill the holes of absent uh, teachers. So it's really affected our staff more than it did our student. So I'm sure within the last year that there have been a lot of lessons learned that both positive and negative, but assuming that there were some things that you can take into next school year as you plan for reopening in the fall, what are those lessons that you and your schools have learned that really can have a positive impact on students moving forward? So I'd say flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. (laughs) Um, I think there were some good um, instructional practices learned uh, uh, through the computer, like how to engage students. Um, Also about like outside instruction, bringing your students outside, a lot of balance with computer instruction. As uh, teachers miss the hands-on instruction, couldn't do science labs, that was a little hard. So the importance of the hands-on instruction versus just plug and go on a computer. But even the computers, they had to really find engaging ways to engage students because it was very difficult for classroom management. Um, a lot of them learned, but um, most of them were supported with having a second screen uh, mm-hmm. when they did distance, when they had to pivot to distance learning. We will probably use the distance learning for when we have power shutoff days, which have been quite common here in California, especially where we are because of fire danger. They'll shut our power off and often we lose a day instruction or a snow day, you know, because we've had snow. So we could then use these Zoom and digital learning practices to support our students, assuming they have internet connection. Hmm. Some of them have to come to the, you know, the outside of the school and sit in their car. And not all students, especially our high poverty students, are are able to do that because of transportation. So, what about this? What about the students? What have they learned that you think? they'll be able to move forward with into next year? No, I think we've, uh, we've established um, (laughs) a lot of germaphobes. (laughs) Uh, They've learned to wash their hands a lot more. And we did see a lot less, um, really a lot less sickness. We still have social emotional things with our students, uh, Mm -hmm. but our, they, I don't believe have been as affected as some of our neighbors to the South. So in the last year, how have you grown as an educator? I've learned how to use Zoom, except sometimes I forget that mute button. (laughs) Um, I've learned different platforms, actually, for meetings online. I've also with I've had to make sure that I when I do my leading learning network meetings with our principals and superintendents that we're providing multiple options, which we knew that rural has always asked for that. We've asked for it from our California Department of Ed. Mm-hmm. Like, can't we have these meetings virtually so we don't have to travel three hours to get the information? So I think those things won't change to, although we crave the interaction between being in person, 
I do believe um, Zoom is here to stay and will greatly help our rural uh, schools. So I would also say I, I felt like I was um, a counselor a good part of the year because I go, I go to different sites every day and sometimes two or three sites in a day. So when I'm there, I feel like I'm the sounding board for a lot of the principals because um, it's lonely for those principals. And they're, they've been bombarded all year with staff needs and student needs and parent needs. And mm-hmm. um, I've had to spend some time telling them they need to take time for themselves and breathe. And the beauty of our consortium and our leading learning network is we don't believe in reinventing the wheel. So we share resources. If one person has done it, I'm kind of the connector, the networker. So I'm on sites every day so I can say, hey, this is what they're doing in Cottonwood or this is what they're doing in Palisadro. And they'll say, oh, would you please share? And so I'm kind of the link that shares their resources or what they're doing and their ideas. Like one uh, of our small schools, right away, they were smart and they put in place a COVID liaison that they paid. And most of the other schools made that the principal. Well, the principal is trying to be the instructional leader and, and do everything else. And some made the school secretary the COVID liaison. But because this one small school district had, they had the extra COVID money. They just picked a, a person actually, and she had background in medical, you know, she had worked at the medical office. So it was a kind of a beautiful relationship and she helped do all the tracking. So that was, that was huge. Rural schools have typically used one another and shared ideas um, because our, I always say our people don't have people. We don't have staff. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have multiple layers. I mean, that's how they kind of hired me. I'm a piece. They all buy a piece of me. And then I support wherever I can jump in. So if they say we need this, I do that. I coordinate all their professional development. So I coordinate whatever they need. Oh, you need a plan written. I help write you know, a general plan and then tweak it. But because I am on their sites, I also know what they're doing. Um, but I did feel um, this year truly was um, hyper networking of ideas and resources. So that that was the beautiful thing that came out of this. Now, what does next year look like for not just you, but for the members of your consortium, those districts that you work with? What, what's going to be different? What's going to be the same? What are they planning for? Well, they're hoping to reduce the distance learning um, part of it. They will still have a component of distance learning or in independent study for those uh, students or parents that want it. But most of them are hoping to still go in person like we have been this year continue and they're hoping to get back to a sense of of normalcy (laughs) and (laughs) I know at the beginning of the year we had to do a lot of moving furniture for the six foot distance which was really a challenge and eliminate a lot of our classroom furniture so next year I believe more of that furniture will come back in and not that we'll jam pack this the classes with lots of students 
But I think the the parents are really asking for it to return to normal as possible. And this year, students were unable to do sports until most recently. So all those things that 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 engage students, um, you know, and like I said, science was a little difficult. The highly engaging things that bring kids to want want to attend school um, were limited this year. So next year, we're hoping to return that. And I have seen a return with our small districts going back to having the um, intervention time, the designated intervention time where they're flooding in uh, instructional aides and teachers, you know, maybe some of them have flexible groupings and are swapping kids. And that is coming back slowly this spring. Um, So I'm hoping next year, I'm optimistic that it will return to semi-normal. They're talking about keeping the masking requirement, but we'll see if that continues. I guess it really depends on the variants and the vaccination, kind of the herd immunity. Are there any stories that you can share with us that uh, either highlight something that a school did that was unique or inspiring? But I do have a unique story. Cascade School District, their um, support staff decided to do a reading um, at night with students, and they purchased books for each grade level. And then I think it was each grade level, and they took and students could join um, a book club at night with one of the support staff. So everything from the bus mechanic, there was also the admin assistant to the superintendent. So each of them, it wasn't a teacher, it was all support staff, cafeteria, everyone Mm -hmm. came together and took a group of students and they did Zoom and reading with them and talking about the book. And the, it, it was, um, heartwarming, I guess, because the students got to keep the book. They got to engage with someone that wasn't a teacher. And the support staff got to see students in a different light, especially like the bus driver, the bus mechanic. And they felt like they were giving um, back to the students. And um, it kept up um, the literacy that needed to take place. And it was in a high poverty community. Um, So that was Um, it was really heartwarming to see that. Well, thanks, Amy, for spending part of your day with me today. It was nice to learn about what's going on with the Mountain Valley Education Consortium there in California. Thank you. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.